0: Tonight the talk is about compassion, the ecology of our hearts and the world, or the interrelationship of our hearts to the world. So here in our practice, we're opening and facing the truths of life, the inner truths, the inner habit patterns that we have the opportunity to see with this uh, kind of environment The supportive environment that we have, facing the truths of the outer realities of life, the things that affect us in our environment, in our families, in society. Inwardly and outwardly, we're facing these realities, how they interrelate with one another also, and how that has an effect on us and the world. And as we continue on our journey here, we need a lot of compassion to be able to do that, to be able to go deeper, to be able to continue. We need the strength of compassion. We need this so we can keep our hearts open, because there's a tendency to close down when it's difficult. We need compassion because we need more kindness. We need to understand, through kindness, what's going on. We need that ready ability to respond wisely or not to respond. A lot of times we're too quick to react, and we don't even have enough discernment to know when to just take a moment and wait We need compassion so we don't close down, so we don't give up, so we don't get overwhelmed with life outside of ourselves, and especially so we don't get overwhelmed with what comes up within our own hearts. I like the way Trumpa Rinpoche says it. He says, compassion is facing reality with an open heart, with an open heart. And as David Loy, a Buddhist scholar, a Zen priest and an author says, he points out in his own view that we live in a time and culture where in large part our economic system is institutionalizing greed. Militarism is institutionalized as, uh, in ill will. The media, perhaps much of it is institutionalized delusion. This is the way of the world. This is the world we live in. This is how it is. Can we really face that reality, all those realities, inwardly and outwardly? Are we really prepared for this? Or do we go on expecting that it has to be a perfect place and that will be perfect We naturally have compassion. It's not something that we have to work hard to realize. When we look at our own lives, when we open to suffering inside or outside of ourselves, we see that we have the potential to naturally respond with kindness, with a heart that's willing to alleviate the pain And from what I see and hear in the various communities that I'm connected with, and I feel in my own heart, there's a growing sense of urgency to do what we can about this world that we live in, about the community we live in, about how we can help people that live right around us, our own family and friends, to offer our gifts, no matter how insignificant we may feel, they are just to offer something small is good many times to touch the world, which is increasing in complexity and speed to be able to touch the world with simplicity, with the simpleness of simplicity to touch the world with slowness instead of just going so fast that we don't have time to to even know what to do. We just kind of fall back on the default settings of our minds and hearts which aren't necessarily always wise. We want to touch the world with kindness. It is our deepest aspiration. And how do we get in touch with that? Equally as strong, there's a growing spiritual urgency for some, like us, To go deep within, to go to that place where we can feel such clarity that we easily find that kindness within us. Knowing that inner landscape is so important, and that's what we're doing here. Knowing the pathways of the heart, touching our own hearts with the kindness of mindfulness, just being with whatever is happening. When we do this over and over again, then we really know how to touch the world with kindness. It takes a lot of courage to do this, to do this practice, to be able to be with, moment to moment, whatever arises. The courage to experience a clear view of how it actually is, instead of overlaying our Uh, hopes and dreams, which is fine, but we tend to get so attached to them that if they don't come about, we're overwhelmed or forlorn about it. To experience a clear view of how it is actually, instead of holding on to the perfection we think it has to be. To be really able to accept that we live in this imperfect world. To see the layers of our hearts as they are exposed moment to moment. To really be able to let them unfurl. Because that's what they're meant to do. Every moment that we have a difficulty or a difficult experience arising in our hearts, from our hearts, it, in a way it wants to be known. It wants to be touched with the gentleness of mindfulness, the gentleness of kindness, of compassion. We want to be able to open to the places we get caught in, in the body, pain in the body, pain in the heart of the mind. Be able to open to resentment, aversion, arrogance, feelings of guilt, overwhelm, attachment also to have a clear view of the places of freedom in our own hearts where we're not so caught in those places to really know how it is to feel a moment of patience a moment of um, this is okay, this moment I can open to to know the courage to be able to do that we're getting to know those places really, really well that's what this is all this is all about. That's what our time here is about really touching those places which with such sobering honesty that we don't have to flinch or close down or cover it up with some other story. We can be really kind and caring to ourselves. We can have this rare kind of attention that has compassion very nearby. We really care about peace in ourselves and in the world. That's why we're here. When we're here, we open to the underpinnings of what we call this personality. And this is a brave thing to do, to see the places where we're not so happy about. To see the mean places of our hearts or the confused places or the places where there's a lot of guilt or we project a lot of things on others. Not seeing that so clearly. We see the unwholesome. We see the wholesome. And bit by bit we're able to accept every part of ourselves. I love what Agnes Au said when uh, in an article of the Shambhala Sun, I read something she wrote. It was about how in practice uh, layers are exposed. Layers of meanness in our hearts. Layers of goodness in our hearts are exposed. The psychophysical tangles of our personality unfurl. And so she says, I see this path is actually an invitation to strip naked at one's own pace, and in so doing to experience the vividness of an unfiltered life. The vividness of an unfiltered life. And sometimes we're not so ready to face that, the vividness of an unfiltered life, to see things without the filter of greed our attachment, hatred, the meanness of our hearts, confusion and delusion, the lenses that we normally wear or we frequently wear when we're looking at life. But what happens when we take those lenses off? Can we really open to the vividness? It takes compassion, not just mindfulness. It takes the help of compassion to be able to do that. Through this process, we discover the habitual forces, and it's better to know them than to not know them, because when they're, when they're not known, when they're not acknowledged, when they're not recognized, they kind of pull us in life, push and pull us in life, like a noose through our nose, in a way. We don't really have clear choices because we just fall back on those uh, default settings of the mind, the habitual tendencies. This has an effect on the world we live in, of course. And through putting it out there in the world, this greed, hatred, and delusion that comes up from our own hearts, we only add more chaos. And it comes back to us somehow. So through this vividness, we notice the habitual forces that create peace, those that create harmony and happiness. We see those that create the opposite, the unwholesome patterns. The Buddha's teaching is about nurturing what creates a wholesome uh, way of life. Nurturing the wholesomeness within us, that sense that creates harmony within us and in the world. It's also about disarming what is harmful, recognizing what's really harmful within us, and being able to disarm that before it comes out of our mouth or it comes into our actions. His Holiness the Dalai Lama says the best disarmament is the inner disarmament where we can disarm those forces that cause the chaos and suffering of the world before it has any effect out there. And with these two, nourishing what is wholesome, disarming what is unwholesome, we're able to develop more wisdom. There's more clarity on the path. So without doing this quiet inner investigation that we're all doing here together, clearly recognizing this inner landscape of the heart, without doing this we can never hope to have a truthful and beneficial effect on the world. Because we'll just be acting out the same old forces that aren't so clear, though we don't recognize as harmful. So we can have a great and beneficial effect on the world, on the outer landscape, by really taking a look at this inner landscape. This is what we're doing here. We're able to touch our own inner world with kindness, with compassion. Then we can really touch the outer world with kindness, with compassion. Granted, We may not radically change the whole world, but we can transform ourselves. And that goes out in very long ripples in the world. They may be gentle, they may not be seen or felt so uh, uh, closely, so rapidly, so strongly, but that has a great effect in the world in the long run. His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, Compassion doesn't make the atrocities of the world disappear or see them as right. It just stops them from continuing in our own hearts. So this is our great work here. It has an infinite outreach in the world because we're so infinitely connected to one another. Usually, Compassion is thought of in terms of saving others, of facing the struggles of the world and doing what we can to alleviate what we see in the world is causing harm, causing struggle. This is true, and it's part of our natural instinct to do that, of course. It's part of our human responsibility to act compassionately, to do what we can to relieve the suffering but when we're so caught up in that we may altogether miss the very important first step and maybe the most important one and that is a tender-hearted care that we need to give ourselves to bring to those places of struggle in our own hearts this time that we're here on on the cushion together doing our walking together being together in the Dharma, supporting one another. This is what our practice is for, to be able to take care of ourselves in that way. To do that willingly, to do it intentionally, to be able to face the struggle. There are times when I go through struggles, of course, and even still on the cushion, it's not an easy thing to do as even as we continue with the practice. Of course there's there's more strength of mindfulness, there's more strength in, in the qualities of like compassion and equanimity. But we we can really open to more and more suffering in ourselves and in the world. In a way we're preparing for this as we practice. I mean this may not be good news to you, but <laughs> it We need to uh, develop these strong uh, states of mind like compassion, equanimity, loving-kindness, sympathetic joy, calm, tranquility, uh, concentration, all of those states and aspects of the mind to be able to open to what we need to open to. Sometimes when I've gone through a particularly difficult time, instead of... um, bearing down on it. I give myself compassionately just a little break. You know, just kind of open to nature for a little bit. Uh, Keep the continuity of mindfulness going by just feeling the body as a whole, looking, seeing nature, being open to hearing, things like that that keep the continuity. And then when I'm in a more settled state, I really make the intention To face the next sitting or to face the next walking, intentionally to face whatever comes up. If I've been struggling with um, whatever in the body, pain in the body, or if I've been struggling with some kind of pain in the heart, a feeling that I can't do it, a feeling of inadequacy, I'll go into that sitting with the intention of, May I face this with compassion? May I open to this with more compassion. Intentionally bring that in, to remember it. We can remember to be mindful. We can also remember to be compassionate. There's nothing wrong with that. We can think that. And that's legal, to have that thought, to intentionally bring it in. So Karuna... Karuna is the Sanskrit and Pali word for compassion. The Tibetans translate karuna as noble heart, and I really like that. Noble heart really feels noble when I can make that intention to open to the first noble truth of suffering. It really I really feel the strength, the nobility of that not personally but the strength of that moving through my heart as an impersonal force in the universe, in the world of my heart. We can really open to physical pain, to illness, to hunger in our own bodies. We open to the heartaches of sadness and grief and jealousy, arrogance, guilt, resentment, hatred the meanness of our own hearts. We open to confusion, the uncontrollability. We see the uncontrollability of the mind, the inability to hold on to anything. It's very um, disconcerting to see this, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, a person or a thing, a condition or an experience the inability to hold on to anything. It can be very scary. Opening to fear. The struggle with the vulnerability of all of life. This is what we're basically opening to when we sit and we do this practice. It takes a noble heart to open to the four noble truths. To the first noble truth. All of this is hard, but with each moment and the growing care that we have to bring in not just mindfulness, but to bring in a measure of caring, a measure of gentleness to the moment, it's so essential that we do this. We wouldn't be able to live without compassion. We wouldn't be able to live because of the compassion that's been offered to us through our own lives through our journey and through the compassion that we feel that we feel the strength of in our own hearts it's, a, it's an incredible nourishment it's a healing force and a medicine for our lives when we know compassion for these difficult parts that I just mentioned pain in the body, pain in the heart the vulnerability of all of life then we really know it for others when we look out into the world and we see people experiencing attachment or extreme attachment aversion and cruelty to others when we see people exhibiting delusion, confusion acting out of that, which is one of the hardest things to have compassion for, is for the delusion of the world. When we see it in ourselves, we're more able to have compassion for others when we see the same thing in others. A few years ago, a neighbor uh, under great stress came to me screaming and yelling uh, It was a neighbor thing about a road that we both um, shared, in a way. There was a a real harshness and cruelty in her words. And that was all I felt for the first few moments. It, It came at me as an attack. It wasn't physical, and I knew she wouldn't physically attack me. But it really hurt. You know, they were like daggers. In my heart. And at first, I wanted to throw back some of my own daggers and hurt her as well with cruelty and meanness. I wanted to strike back out at her. Cruelty is the far enemy of compassion, it's called the far enemy because we can see it from afar. It's not hard to recognize cruelty. I recognized it in her words first. Of course, underneath that was other things, you know, other experiences of probably fear and um, attachment to how she wanted it to be. I didn't see that at first. I didn't feel compassion for anything at first. But when I felt the cruelty in my own heart, you know, there were a lot of words that I don't normally say <laughs> that I wanted to say. There were um, you know, I, I really felt my bodily posture wanting to push out. I'm not really used to doing that, but I could feel the tendency to do that, to strike out, to hurt her to say mean things that i knew she would she would be hurt by but when i felt that meanness in my own heart somehow that connection with my own with that meanness in my own heart that cruelty could somehow connect with her own suffering and that was kind of the first step for me it wasn't that i felt compassion right away I felt the meanness, the cruelty right away. And then there was another step where I could feel that's how she feels. That's what's going on for her. It happens so quickly. And when I got a glimpse of that, just a glimpse of that's what's happening for her right now too, somehow my heart could soften in that moment because I could feel this is really hard. It's really it's quite overwhelming. You know, you you want to strike out when you feel this in your own heart. It's understandable. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of delusion. We don't know what to do. And so in that moment when I felt that compassion, I could just let it drop. It's as if you know all of those drag- daggers could drop to the floor. The, you know, my nails could come back in my fingers. (laughs) It was a great relief to feel that spontaneous quivering of the heart in response to suffering, not just hers, but my own, not just my own, but hers. It said that compassion is the quivering of the heart in response to suffering. We feel that quivering. It's like, wake up, wake up. There's something else going on. It's not just the cruelty, it's like your heart is waking up somehow. It's one of the descriptions of Karuna in the ancient texts the spontaneous quivering of the heart in response to suffering. What a relief! What a relief, what a moment of freedom to feel that compassion, to have that waking up of that quivering. In one moment to feel the cruelty of the heart, and the next moment, almost the next moment, to feel the gentleness of the heart. One moment harshness, the next moment gentleness. It's easy to know which path to choose, when we can just really be awake to that, when we can open to that. But we have to get used to choosing that path. We can be strong with compassion. We can still make boundaries with compassion. We can, we can state things clearly, much more clearly with compassion. We can say, this is enough with compassion. Back off. I didn't say it exactly like that, but something similar. It doesn't mean that we are trampled over or we're so gentle that we don't do anything about it. It doesn't mean that we're not strong, that we're weak. We have confidence that there's a possibility to create peace somehow. So we recognize that others, like ourselves, deep down, we really want happiness. We don't know how to go about it sometimes because of a lot of delusion, but we really want happiness if we can just kind of make the space to realize that, to simplify what's going on, to open up, to slow down, to stop for a moment. Those are, that's what it takes sometimes. Having compassion towards those we love, towards those we naturally care for, that's really easy. But as His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, our enemies are our greatest treasures. Because to have compassion for them and what they may be exhibiting or doing in the world, uh, or in our near world or the greater world around us, this is harder. This is a big stretch. It makes us stretch our hearts. So compassion asks us, can we do this? Can we really stretch our hearts that far? Or are we just going to stay in our little worlds and be comfortable? Just keep it comfort comfortable. Having compassion for those we love only it requires us to grow to face not just the outer difficulties but the inner demons that stubbornness or that i'm right that unwillingness to open to what's difficult those are demons inner demons also it gives us the opportunity to transform So that's the far enemy. That's cruelty. There was a person um, a few years ago, she was a yogi, a meditator at IMS, and she was opening to something really, really painful in her heart. Something that she couldn't bear. Something about her own inner demons. I really can't remember exactly what it was, but she came to um, a check-in one time and she, she, she wasn't having that kind of stiffness and that kind of closed-down um, exhibiting of what was going on inside of her. That kind of outer harshness or um, heaviness that I could feel. There was a sort of a softness and tears in her eyes and I asked her why she was crying was she opening to something really difficult and she said yes but that's not why I'm crying I'm opening I'm crying these are tears of joy because I'm op- I am opening I can open to what's difficult and I can open with gentleness not with harshness I can really touch that place that's really hard to touch in my own heart. And so these are tears of joy that I can actually do that. She wasn't overwhelmed. So now the near enemy, the near enemy of Karuna is despair. An unhealthy kind of grief, in a way. There is a A grief that's good. It's a grief that's letting go, that's really facing what we need to face. But there's a kind of grief that holds on to the sorrow, holds on to the pain. Maybe because we don't know what else to do. We don't know how else to navigate that terrain. It manifests sometimes as pity for oneself, pity for others. This is the near enemy of Karuna. It can seem like compassion. That's why it's called the near enemy. It can seem like compassion. Because it's soft, but it's too soft. It doesn't have the courage of compassion. It kind of falls into the sorrow or falls into the grief, falls into the dukkha, the suffering, and is drowning there doesn't know how to get out of that or to float or to um, be with it in a healthy way. There's no clarity. There's no wisdom to know what to do for oneself or for others. And with this state of mind, we get so bogged down in the painful conditions that uh, are being experienced, whether they're inner or outer, conditions that it becomes our identity to just have this self-pity that we may not even know about, that we carry around, or this grief that from the past that um, we can't let go of somehow. The time hasn't come yet. we haven't the conditions aren't all ripe yet. We lead into life with our wounds. I can't remember who said that, but that was a very apt way of saying leading into life with our wounds. Talking about our wounds, our pain, all the time. And as William Stafford says in one of his poems, I'm just taking an excerpt from it. These wounds turn into pearls. They take on a luster. They accumulate as decorations or badges. And that becomes our identity, sorry to say. I'm I'm not saying this from a book. I've experienced this. We become so identified with the pain. We build all those moments of pain, even if it's not happening now, if it happened in the past, we build all those moments into a me, a mine, a who I am that continues to live in some kind of ongoing solidity in life. very, very painful. I remember one time I was driving with them um, when and and one of um, one of the teachers that he brought from India was Krishna. And we were going, we were on Maui going down the Haleakala Highway, was taking them to see something, the Eao Valley. And I was going on and on again, you know, unbroken record about my pain, about how I had to leave the Philippines with three children and be a single parent for so many years, and how I was done wrong too, and blah, 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 blah. And Manindra had had it. He was he he was he had one of those compassion moments that I really appreciate. Sometimes compassion doesn't come in softness. It comes with a sword, you know? And it says in a strong way, give it up. Aren't you ready to be done with this pain? Or they say things which we're experiencing, compassion that comes very directly saying things that we're we're experiencing, but we don't want to face it. And so we kind of, you know, shoot the messenger. It's all that person's fault. Instead of really looking inward and seeing, well, maybe this is something we have to take a look at. So the broken record was going on. I was driving. And Manindra, he says, and I know Joseph will remember these words somehow because he would say it often, The past is dead and gone. The future is not yet born. But this moment, you have the opportunity, this present moment, to create your future. You are creating more pain. You're creating more self-pity for yourself. You can create a better life, here and now. Drop that. It was so like humbling and humiliating you know this path I forget who said it is one humiliation after another (laughs) but you know we should be able to accept it one of the reasons why I continue to see a teacher is because I want to be admonished I want somebody to tell me you know give up your arrogance give up your pride let go so, that was a time, I clearly remember, that was a time when I made a very clear decision, time to let go. I'm really tired of this. I'm taking off all of those badges, and they, they really didn't do me any good. On the level of dealing with the world, we can't be truly affected if, uh, effective if we're caught here in this place of pity, or extreme uh, you know, sadness for what's going on in the world. There's a story from Asia about a person sinking in quicksand, wailing and screaming for help, and another person wanting to help, overcome by despair, and of course not very clear, with a lot of confusion, not thinking, jumping into the quicksand to save that person. And they both, Get caught in the quicksand. They both die in the quicksand. Instead of being on firm ground and helping, you know, possibly giving that person a long stick and saying, Hold on to the stick, I'll pull you out, or giving that person some tools, whatever. We don't jump into the quicksand when we ourselves are in despair. We learn to Get strong first, and then help. A story I often tell is when I heard um, an interview with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and he was speaking with a group of people about the the predicament of his motherland of Tibet. And there were people, activists in the audience, that got very riled up and wanted to help. And one person, very riled up, came forth and said, I want to do something, whatever I can, but had just a lot of, you know, restlessness and not very much clarity in the mind, and His Holiness the Dalai Lama could see, well this is not a good candidate to help me right now, and forthrightly told the person, you must be able to settle your own heart first, not exactly in those words, but similar you must be able to settle your own heart first to come from a place of more clarity and wisdom. That's where true compassion comes from. So as we experience the vividness of an unfiltered life here on retreat, facing reality with an open heart, those realities that come up inwardly, will come across cruelty, we'll come across that feeling of striking out at what is difficult to bear. We might want to strike out at the person that triggered that in the past. We may feel deep hatred, aversion, rage, bitterness, resentment, blame. All of those Experiences that come from, you know, a heart that's wounded. And it's really important to bring the medicine, the healing balm of compassion there. Just moments of not just mindfulness, but gentle mindfulness. That's what I call gentle mindfulness to the moment. I remember um, my daughter... The youngest one, Therese, she gets royalties every time I mention her name, by the way. (laughs) I I have permission. Uh, One time was, uh, again, riding in a car and trying to get her somewhere and going through a lot of stress and upset with her about something. And she had done two young adults courses at IMS. And, of course, she thought she was my teacher then. You know, so I was just a lot of aversion and stress going down the hill. And right beside me, she turned to me and in a very straightforward voice. She said, Mom, she said, soft, noting. <laughs> aversion, aversion, soft, gentle note, Mom. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> so even admonishment Correction from my own daughter. That's fine. (laughs) So we'll come across this inner cruelty. Can we incline the mind and heart to a moment of acceptance? That compassion that says, okay, I can accept this moment just as it is. To let the harshness melt in that moment. We'll come across the, those moments too of feeling overwhelmed, not knowing what to do, um, being, feeling like we're drowning in the pain. One of the compassion phrases that I like to use when it becomes so overwhelming that I have to shift my mindfulness, uh, Vipassana practice, to, vipa- to compassion is, I care about this pain. I'll just shift for a moment. I'm not suggesting that to everyone here but sometimes um, it's helpful to just say to myself okay, let me care about this pain and have the energy more balanced in the care than it is in the pain. So not jumping into the river of pain but really it's like standing beside that river of pain and having some kind of gentleness about it, towards it, being really grounded there in the care, not in the pain. I care about this pain. Preventing further cruelty to oneself. Someone today was trying to remember um, simplicity, patience, and compassion, the the three words that I try to start the retreat out with, a kind of theme for ourselves. So she came up with the initials SPC, Simplicity, Patience, and Compassion, and remembered SPCA, the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. So, you know, that, that was really good. <laughs> the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Ourselves. To our own hearts. This is compassion if we can really do that. Can we give ourselves some space, some breathing room when we're feeling overwhelmed by whatever it is by the rage inside or by the despair inside whether it's the near or far enemy or any version of of it. Compassion is giving ourselves some space. It's okay to, to take a walk, keep the continuity of mindfulness very general, just notice the body moving through space, notice seeing, seeing, opening the attention to hearing, keeping the attention very wide, and giving ourselves space not boring into or bearing down on what's going on, feeling that I must be strong with this. That's one way if we've got the energy to do it and we can be really gentle. That's one way. But another way is backing off with mindful attention, bringing our mindfulness to something wide, to something big, to something also gentle like hearing, seeing, and being with that for a while i have to confess that there were real times when it was really hard for me uh, to do my practice at IMS when i was doing some long practices and uh i would have tea at i would i love to walk in the dining hall i just like to walk near kitchens because i'm a mom and walking back and forth in the tables you know using the table sometimes at the when it was really dark at night or early in the morning feeling my way through and then having a cup of tea at the end and i would say if i could just make it to that cup of tea that i was really being compassionate towards myself and then i got overly compassionate and i put another cup of tea at the other end <laughs> so i wouldn't have to wait too long to get to the cup of tea, we need some soothing sometimes, you know, from ourselves to, to feel that. Now, I don't recommend that here. We're, we might run out of teacups. It really does help to give ourselves that space to feel the quivering of the heart in response to struggle. I love that about the quivering of the heart. I mean, that really um, touched something in my heart that made me know this is really true. I really feel the quivering of the heart in response to pain, and it makes me feel alive, not dead. It makes me feel that I've got energy to face what needs to be faced, to not back down. I feel like um, I'm awake. what's going on, not covering the eyes and the mind with delusion. But I really can be awake to this struggle. It's possible to know the kindness, which is compassion. Compassion is really metta, loving kindness that turns specifically towards pain. And when kindness turns specifically towards pain... It becomes compassion. So it asks us, you know, it's, it's calling to us all the time. The suffering that comes up in our hearts or in the world is calling the compassion out all the time. Can we respond to that with gentleness, with kindness, with clarity, with the vividness of an open heart instead of closing down? Can we know life as it really is, the nature of this life that we live in, instead of overlaying how we think it should be, our demands on life? Compassion is the necessary stepping stone to realizing the first noble truth and then the other truths, the four noble truths, and to complete liberation. To the sure heart's release. So I'd like to read, which is um, to end, probably my most favorite poem by Naomi Shihab Nye. And this poem is called Kindness. And it says it all right here. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. You must feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize or corn and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say it is I you have been looking for and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow like your friend so let's sit for a moment So I've given you time for a cup of tea. And uh, to please, uh, the person who's ringing the bell usually for 9.15 to... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit org slash donate.